let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter uh, 11. Uh, this morning, I was just thinking, man, it is uh, such a privilege to be able to share from God's word. Um, I, I remember I just, I've felt called to be a pastor since I was uh, 20. Um, I gave my life uh, to Jesus in uh, November of 1999 when I was 18 years old. And it wasn't too long after that I felt called to ministry. And I talked to my pastor, and he said, um, he gave me a hug, and he said, yes, like, let me affirm that in you. And it was awesome. It was a great conversation. But then he put me up on a Wednesday night and said, okay, if you're going to be a preacher, you gotta, you got to get up here, and you got to start preaching. And I said, okay. And I put together a, a message um, that was about 45 minutes long like of content. And I remember my pastor, he, he stood up beside me as he was praying. It was a Wednesday night, right? You're not going to put this new guy up on a Sunday morning. You're going to put it when there's 13 people in the room, right? And, and so uh, he, I remember standing there and he puts his arm around me and he starts praying for me and he starts laughing because I'm about to shake out of my shoes. I'm just so nervous and I'm so scared, never done that before. And so he's praying and he's laughing and I, and I stood there and with my 45 minutes of material, I blazed through it in 16 minutes. Like I was so nervous, guys, so nervous. Um, but I'm a little bit older now uh, and those same nerves and that same fear isn't there. Um, of anxiety, but the fear of the Lord is there. And so we want to open up his scriptures and we want to teach from there. Uh, and uh, not out of compulsion, but just simply we want to open up the scriptures and see what God has for us uh, this morning. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through Mark chapter 11 uh, and we're going to talk about what God has for us there and try to dissect it. And the hope is that as we walk out of this room, that we're not the same as when we came in. That we as individuals, that you have an encounter with the Lord, that the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart and begins to change and morph and, and do something in you so that when we walk out of here, uh, that in these four doors, this isn't where your faith stays. This isn't where it ends, but you take it into the workplace and you take it into the home and you take it into your car, you take it into your families, right? That the word of God begins to change us. And so um, I'm going to pray to that end and then we're going to dive in. So Father, this morning is yours. You have men and women um, here that are visiting. You have men and women who call this place home. You've got men and women and kids in the room who have no idea why they're here, but they're here. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to every single one of us in the position that we were in through your Holy Spirit and that you would challenge us. Lord, I'm just a vessel to be used by you. Um, I have nothing to stand on if we don't stand on your word. And so would you help us to teach that and that we would receive it uh, and apply it today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, sometimes we do uh, everything that we can to win the approval of people. Would you agree with that? Sometimes we'll do everything that we can to win the approval of people. And then there are times where we would do everything that we can to keep the approval of people. And even to the point of buying a lion. Let me explain that. Um, anybody here ever uh, chased a lion down the road? Anybody here ever been in close contact with a lion that you could actually touch it? Well, me either. I, I read a story this week of a guy um, who actually bought a lion. Uh, apparently this dude was all kinds of wealthy he had money for days and uh although he had money he had no internal security he didn't know who he was he didn't know what he was about there was no conviction in his heart um, but he had money and so he was always trying to use his money to impress people and so he would uh, buy these incredibly expensive cars and he'd have come people come over and look in his garage and say hey what do you think about my car can i drive it no he would buy these magnificent homes he would have one that he was living in and he would have others that he would visit and he would have people come over to, to see the lavishes, not to build community and to have, uh, to have a, a, a good sense of relationship, but so that they could see the things that he has. 
He would brag about his exploits. He would brag about his accomplishments on the wall, things that they can't see, things that he's done in the past. And all of this while, everything on the inside was falling apart for him. He felt empty. He felt unfulfilled. He felt unsatisfied. Now, I don't know what makes a guy do this, but this guy, uh, apparently, he decided that he was going to buy a lion. Uh, apparently, that is the status symbol of you've achieved something. So if you're like trying to get to the top, you haven't made it, apparently, until you get a lion, guys, gals, okay? Uh, so he buys this lion. Well, as you can imagine, things don't go very well, right? <laughs> yeah. He gets the lion, it's in the house, and he's trying to tame the lion. He's trying to be a friend to the lion. But eventually, the lion gets outside the gets outside the front door and he runs wild through the neighborhood now imagine that living in a neighborhood and you see a lion come running down the road and then you see this guy chasing a lion down the road and that's something to behold and so he is chasing this lion down the road the community all is upset and crazy feeling about it and everything that he wanted for his life went the other direction this is exactly what he didn't want in his life. He's chasing this lion down the road and he's looking like a fool when all he wanted to do was impress people. He wanted to be approved by people. Sometimes we'll do anything to win approval and sometimes we'll do anything to keep approval. And even if that means buying a lion. Now, most of us, we're not gonna go out and we're not gonna go buy a lion, right? But sometimes we seek the approval of others. Sometimes we want a little more attention than somebody wants to give us. Sometimes we uh, go towards attention and we go towards approval in what we would say would be an unhealthy manner, an unhealthy way. Sometimes we desperately want people to like us and to follow us. We want people to agree with us. We want people to see things the same way that we see them. We want people to like our style. We want them to like our home. We want them to, whatever it is, we want to use what we have that they might be able to uh, approve us. And listen, listen. Whenever we live for the approval of others, we'll die by the approval of others. Whenever we live for uh, what we might be able to get out of somebody because of something that we have, as soon as that thing is gone, that attention and that approval is gone. And when we live for the approval of others or when we grasp, might, might be able to say, when we grasp for, for our perception of what authority might be, we might do anything that we can to get it. And that might mean that we might do anything that we can to keep it so that it doesn't leave. And what ends up happening is we may not be chasing real lions down the street, but we might do something just as crazy if the approval of somebody else demands it. It may not be a lion, but it might be your lion, the thing that you're chasing to get approval. Here's something that I want to say to us as we get ready to dive into Mark chapter 11 here. Um, right now, we are living in what I would say, and I think what you people who study this thing would say, um, we're living in a post-Christian society. And if we're not yet in a post-Christian society, we are quickly, rapidly moving into that direction. And what that means is more and more people who would have once considered themselves Christian or who once were people who were choosing Christ to live their life in, in connection with him are now starting to live their life outside of Christ. That he's got no relevance for them in their life. There was a time in our 247 years of, of young history in, in American history that the majority of Americans would have said, you know what, I, I, I identify myself as a Christian. That's who I am, that's how, that's how I grew up, but I, I, I accepted Christ too. And if they didn't maybe identify themselves as a Christian, they at least lived under the, the, the idea of Christian rules and principles and law. They, they lived by that code of ethics, Christian values. In other words, the, the God of the land, um, God and his word were the standard for, for direction. 
And when there was a moral conflict or there was an ethical question, there was no doubt of where you were going to go to see how do we handle this. You would go to the scriptures. That's where you turned. And we'd ask the question, what does God have to say about this? What does his word have to say? What's the community of faith have to say? How does this work out? How does this play out? Is it moral? Is it ethical? Well, the way that you found out is what's God have to say about it? But right now, as the days continue on, as they keep, feel like they keep getting darker, I'm not, this is not doomsday. It just, this is what, it just feels like things are getting darker. Without some type of intervention and just a revival by the Holy Spirit, God doing amazing work, our society is going to continue to move away from Christ, and they continue to do that. And the damage here is that as we move away from Christ, you move away from a standard of authority. You move away from something that's steady and secure and constant. And when you move away from Christ and you move away from the word of God, the only thing left for us is to self-govern. You start looking out for your own way. You start looking out for number one. You start to call the shots. You decide what's right and wrong. There's no authority to tell you what's right and wrong. You become your own authority. And the result of that is that we become an authority unto ourselves. And the next level of that, if we don't feel like an authority unto ourselves, we become enslaved to the approval of others and dependent on what they think about us. For, for them to tell us who we are, to tell us what our identity is, what our value is. And, if you're, and we ask, are we heading in the right direction? And if there's no standard or there's nothing concrete that's anchoring us there, then we'll just kind of float off. And the only logical conclusion that that leads us to is that we're going to eventually be chasing lions down the street. Because the authority and the pr approval that we want, it's always going to be fleeting. Because it's not anchored to anything. So whatever the tone of the culture is, is what we're going to say we approve of. Whatever the tone of the culture is that shifts, we're going to say, well, we approve of that. There's nothing that's anchoring a society that is living on self-government. So knowing that leaves us with a choice. Are we going to choose to live for the approval of others? Or are we going to look to our own authority? Or are we going to live under the rule and the reign of Christ? That, that's the choice that we have to make. Are we our own ruler or are we going to live under the rule and the reign of the God who created us? Now, so right now here in Israel, as we're in the book of Mark, this is something that we've kind of been building into. We've been digging in and getting to here now. Because here in Israel, the religious leaders are in this tight spot being forced with the same question. Because the authority and the validation that they've wanted for so long, the approval that they've wanted and the authority that they've been desiring, it's been challenged. Jesus came in last week. You remember? Let's just talk in terms of last week. Um, Jesus came in last week, which would have been a day earlier than what we're getting ready to read. Jesus comes in and he starts flipping tables and he starts teaching with authority. Their whole lifestyle that these leaders have been living, it's smacked straight into a wall and they've got a choice to make. Am I going to keep up this charade that I'm in control, that I've got control, or am I going to let that go and am I going to choose to follow Jesus? This is, this is the, the pivot point for these leaders right now as we're reading this, okay? So let's dive in here to uh, verse 27 of chapter 11 and see what the word teaches us this morning. <clears throat> and they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to him. I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say, Why then did you not believe him? 
But shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay, so let's dive in here. When, when uh, I read this this week, I tried to break it down into three little sections. These are, even though it's not a long section, I tried to break it down so that we can get our hands around a little bit better. And so uh, let, let's try to hang it on these three hooks, okay? There's three words I think that we could help us kind of lock this in. There's a challenge. There's this uh, response, I would say a remarkable response from Jesus. And then there's a dilemma that you see for the leaders. So you've got a challenge from the religious leaders. You've got Jesus responding to that challenge. And then we have a dilemma with the leaders. And I would say um, that we want to pay really close attention to that because the dilemma that they face is actually the same dilemma that we face day in and day out as brothers and sisters in Christ trying to figure out how are we going to live this life. Okay, so pay attention to all of it, but you're going to want to dig into that one for an application. So let's start with this challenge that we see coming from the religious leaders in verse 27. They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, and I want to stop there, okay? And I want us to pay attention to what Jesus is doing. Jesus was just in that temple the day before. He flipped over the tables. He chased out the money changers. He made a big scene. He caused a big scene. And uh, he looked the religious leaders in the eye and said, What's going on here is not good. He said, you have turned the temple of God into a den of of thieves. And you can imagine, and we talked about it last week, that this did not make the religious leaders very happy. They were upset about this. And Mark told us that in verse 18, the chief priests and the scribes heard it. They were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And what that means is that they wanted to kill Jesus. Right? They were so seeming mad at Jesus coming in and challenging their authority that they would get to the point where they wanted to kill him. And we have to ask the question, why? What would, what, what would make these guys so angry that they were willing to take the life of somebody that at best was the Savior, at best was the Son of God, that they had been waiting on the Messiah, and at the least might even be a prophet of God? What would make them want to get rid of Jesus like this? Verse 18 said, they feared him. They feared him. But what exactly was it about that fear? What did they fear about Jesus that made him so tense? Well, they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Now, there's not a leader in this room who hasn't had the thought, what if somebody takes my place? What if somebody comes in and steals my position? What if somebody comes in and dethrones me? That doesn't mean that that's all you think about because you can have good headspace all the time. But there is that thought that will creep in sometimes. What happens if I lose my position? Every leader, if they're honest, is afraid that something like that is gonna happen. That somebody's gonna come in and either challenge their authority, take their authority, and then they either lose their job or they lose their position, they lose their, their control. For these leaders here, they felt like they're, they're starting to lose the control of the people. Um, and the people to this point, they listened to everything that these religious leaders had to say, everything, all the laws that they added on top of God's law, they followed all the things that they required to do. They did because these religious, religious leaders told them to do it. And when a person feels like they're about to lose control or when they feel like they're about to lose the approval of somebody else, they'll go get a lion. They'll go get a lion. They'll, they'll do something big. And, uh, and before you know it, they'll be chasing it down the street. The sky becomes the limit of what you'll do when you don't want to lose control. The sky's the limit of what you'll do when, you don't, when you're trying to save face 
or when you don't want to lose followers, or if you're in a contract with somebody and you don't want to lose that contract. The sky is the limit. Anything is on the table at that point when you feel like you've been backed into a corner, even rejection of Jesus, even walking away from our faith if the approval demands it. That's what's happened here. And Jesus walks right into the temple that very next morning. (laughs) That takes guts, doesn't it? Like, is this like returning to the scene of the crime? Jesus did no crime, but it is like going back in and be like, man, I'm not afraid of any repercussion that might happen right now. And most of us, we hate confrontation. We hate conflict, right? Like we'll do everything that we can if there's tension with somebody. Like, like if we see somebody, if we see them out of the corner of our eye in the grocery store and they haven't seen us yet, we are going to the other side of the grocery store, right? We just don't want that conflict with one another. Some of us like have taken different routes home because we don't want to see people. We don't want to end up in the same position. We don't want to, by chance, happen to run into them. We avoid conflict. Like when we, when we think that there's the idea of conflict that's coming up, man, we get pits in our stomach and about throw up. Some of y'all are crazy and like bring it on, right? I, I just want it. I, I live for this kind of stuff. We're praying for you. <clears throat> but if you're God, what does that matter? What does it matter? You have the freedom to do whatever you want. You have the authority to walk right back into that place without any fear of repercussion. And so right now in this scene, you have Jesus and the religious leaders and they are standing toe to toe. And listen, guys, we're not talking about like the the local pastors here, like me meeting with a couple other pastors and Jesus. We're not talking about the Ashland Ministerial Association. What we're talking about here, this is the top brass. They have the top dogs in town. It's sitting down with your boss's boss's boss and you're having a conversation with them, right? This is the top of the line. Here's who's there, as Mark tells us. You've got the chief priests, you've got the scribes, and you've got the elders. These are the big guns. These are the three ruling leaders in the temple. This is at the top of the Jewish society. This is, it doesn't get any higher than, the, than these three groups. These three groups kind of make up something that's called the Sanhedrin. And then the Sanhedrin, all religious um, happenings had to go through them. Um, the rulings and the decisions, they had a word in everything that was done. They were the top. These are the same men that Mark says in verse 18 from the night before that they were trying, they were starting to have talks about killing Jesus. And so they're there in this meeting together and they come up to Jesus and here's the challenge that comes up. It's a challenge of authority. They say, what gives you the right to come in and do what you did yesterday? Whose authority are you working under to be able to come in and do the things that you did? By what authority, he says, are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority? So I I just wanna be extremely clear here, okay? This is not an innocent conversation. There is heat that's been building up up to this point and it's being played out in this moment right now. This is not innocent. This is a group of people, they assume that they're better than Jesus. They assume that the buck stops with them on all things. They assume that there is nobody higher for them to answer to, right? They are the, they're the top of the line. And other than, other than God himself, they're, they're the end of the line. And honestly, at this point in their mind, they might even be on equal ground with God. You ever know anybody like that? Like the buck has to stop with them on everything. It doesn't matter if you're playing Monopoly or you're making business decisions, like the buck always stops with them. Think they're better than everyone. That's these leaders right now. They, help, they are believing that they are in a position over Jesus. Here's what they're thinking. He didn't go to our divinity schools. 
He didn't spend hours pouring over the scrolls like we've spent out. He didn't spend time with any of the other religious leaders hearing about um, God from the past. He didn't come up through our ranks. He hasn't been sanctioned by one of our clergy. He wasn't in a position uh, or he hasn't been put in a position by authority of the Roman government, um, the officials who are now appointing the chief priest. They were thinking, he's not one of us. So how could anybody outside of us be anywhere close to our level? There's such pride in that circle, such arrogance that was going on within these religious leaders. And so what's happening is they're they're trying to speak from a position of authority and they're asking Jesus questions as if Jesus somehow owes them an answer. Like we ask you something and you have to respond, right? When an authority asks you a question, the idea is you answer. You're not at liberty to be like, you know what? Um, today's just kind of not the day. I wasn't. Th- you weren't on my schedule. I didn't have a. Con- I didn't want to have a conversation conversation with you. Um, you're gonna. You can just talk all you want, but I'm not gonna give you an. We're not at liberty. If somebody in authority asks you something, you give them an answer. We see this in parent-child relationship, right? Like if a parent speaks, there's an inherent kind of authority that your child is supposed to answer. Now I got three kids, almost four. I know that doesn't always happen. All right. Sometimes my kids don't listen to me. Sometimes they don't listen to Ashley. They probably listen to her more than they listen to me. But that's beside the point. That's therapy. Um, but you also see this in, in um, uh, principals and, and students at a school. When a principal speaks, there's supposed to be an answer. When a judge speaks, a defendant is supposed to answer. You don't have the privilege of not saying anything. This is the, the level of authority that's represented in those types of relationships. So then if Jesus answers their question, he's submitting to their idea that they're in control and that Jesus somehow owes them an answer. And so right now they are toe to toe with Jesus and challenging his authority in front of everybody else. This is, this is not an innocent conversation where they're just strolling in like, hey, how'd yesterday go? Okay. This is a heated conversation. And so before we move on, we have to answer this question, okay? Where does Jesus get his authority? Where does he get, if he's walking in, what gives him the right to go in and upturn the tables? What gives him the right to walk into the temple and say, you're making my father's house a den of robbers, a den of thieves? Where does that authority come from? See, the role of priest was supposed to be held by a Levite. That was, you go all the way back to Moses, this is how this was supposed to work out. But right now, during this time, it's become a political position that gets appointed by the Roman emperor. So power for the chief priest, power for the leaders is being demonstrated by what's happening within the Roman government, okay? So the concept of power or authority, it comes from a position. And you get that position by somebody's approval of of you. Um, And if somebody approves of you, they might appoint you to this position. So these chief priests that are in leadership, they have been approved of and appointed by the leadership inside of Rome. And so what's happening here is that the religious leaders now are saying, we know where we get our power. We know where our authority comes from. Our authority has been given to us from Herod. Where do you get yours? You guys still have your Bibles open there? Why don't you flip over to John chapter one. Leave your finger in Mark because we're gonna be back there shortly. 
Um, we're going we're gonna to kind of journey here real quick, and, and we're going to start in the book of John because um, I think this is a, a great place. This is where we um, usually send new believers because John is one, of, uh, the gospel, is one of the gospels that really paints a clear picture of who Jesus is. He tells us how Jesus gets his authority. He tells us um, the divinity of Jesus, the personhood of Jesus. He says, this is how it comes to be. And so John chapter 1 um, is very crucial for this argument. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, what those three verses are telling us, before we even have to dig any deeper into John, John is telling us that Jesus has authority because he is authority, right? He, he doesn't have to get it from somebody else. He doesn't have to be appointed to a position he is authority. He was born with it. He was get from all of time before, before creation ever existed. When he was, he, the father and the spirit are just hanging out together. He's always had authority. Doesn't have to get it from an institution. He is God. He is the creator. He is the designer of everything. And so he has authority because he is authority. Doesn't have to get it from anywhere else. And so jump back into Mark now. Jesus asked them a question. And I think this is the second hook that we can hang on here. We have this challenge of authority, and then we have this remarkable response from Jesus to that challenge. Now, for the religious leaders, authority for them, it was coming, again, from that position of power that was appointed to them. And in this day and age, whoever has the power has control. Whoever has power, whoever has might, whoever has the position has control. But I love how Pastor Chuck Swindoll says this. Um, we have a quote here from him. It says, for Jesus, authority stems from truth. Authority doesn't come from a position. It doesn't come from power. Authority comes from truth. He's the author of truth. And so a person is authoritative only to the extent of being aligned with God. What's more, God is omnipotent, the ultimate power with whom no one compares, not even the emperor. And so he's challenging the very idea that power comes from your position or that power comes from even from wealth or power comes from an appointment of somebody who's higher than you. That power is coming from truth. And so Jesus comes back and he asks them a question that's based on truth. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? answer me. See, he's flipping the table. You answer me. You ask me a question. I don't have to answer your question. I'm going to give you a question. You answer me. There's this little chess match that's going on between Jesus and the religious leaders. Now, if this was just Jesus and a few of those guys hanging out, having a conversation, this really wouldn't be that big of a deal. But it's a much bigger deal because there's so many people who are at the temple at this time. This is the, the week of the Passover festivities. And so there were all kinds of people who were hanging out in the temple courts, and there are more than just these religious leaders and Jesus hearing this conversation going back and forth. So there's a lot at stake here for these religious leaders. And that's like the third little hook here. You've got a challenge, you've got a response, and then they've got a dilemma. They've got a dilemma um, in their leadership here. And so they've got this problem. If they lose this match in front of all these people, what happens is they lose control. Their authority goes out the window. There's no more listen to what I have to say and do whatever I want you to do. And so they know that. And so they huddle up together. Say, bring it in, guys. Here in verse 31. 
And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he's gonna say, why then did you not believe? But shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. You have two problems that are presented here. If they say yes, if they say we believe that, that John's baptism, that it came from heaven, that this came from God, that it was ordained by him, like we're toasted because we didn't believe what John had to say. John said that Jesus was the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world and we did not follow him, we did not believe him. Actually, we kind of signed off when he was beheaded and executed. Like So we would be in some real significant trouble. So just to give us a little background uh, for our benefit here of who John is, um, uh, in the beginning of uh, Matthew, I think it's Matthew, you're, you're gonna find uh, the story of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah worked in the temple. Um, Elizabeth was his wife. They were barren. They hadn't had children in uh, uh, forever. And in their old age, an angel shows up and promises them that you are going to have a child and you're gonna name him John. And he's gonna be the forerunner of Christ. He's gonna point people to Jesus. He's gonna live his life. And the purpose of his life is to get people ready for when Jesus shows up. And that's exactly what John does. He did everything. He, he was out in the wilderness telling people about Jesus. He's out in the wilderness preaching repentance, get ready for Jesus when he shows up. He's baptizing people. He lived his life all the way up to the point of death to point people to Jesus. And so let's just walk through a couple verses here so we can get our hands around who John was and what his purpose was. So John chapter one, verse six and seven, we're gonna move quick, quickly here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And then back in Mark, we have uh, verse one or chapter one, verse seven, and he preached saying, this is John, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then back in John chapter one, the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he preached that truth and he preached that gospel all the way up until his, his execution. That's what they would be agreeing to if they said that John's baptism came from heaven. They would be saying that the gospel that John was preaching, that Jesus was the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, that that was true. And they would be convicting themselves of not following this truth. And so that's the first problem, but they have a second problem too that's just as big in their eyes and maybe even bigger. If they said that John was just another guy and that his baptism wasn't anything special, they'd have a revolt on their hands because the Jewish community believed that John was a prophet, that he wasn't just another guy, that he had been sent from God. Now remember, these leaders, as Mark tells us, they are afraid they were afraid of losing control. They feared that they were going to uh, start, people are gonna start following Jesus. And if they start following Jesus, that means that people are going to be leaving them. And when you're afraid of losing followers, and when you're afraid of people unliking you or unsubscribing to you and taking their thumbs down and, and all that, and you're afraid that your authority is being threatened, you start doing wacky things. You start chasing lions. Instead of what's doing what's right and doing what you know to be true, um, when you fear that you're losing control or when you're afraid that people are gonna stop validating you, you'll do just about anything to hang on to that control. You've had it, but you do anything to hang on to it and keep it. They knew that if they pushed the wrong button, 
all of Israel would revolt against them. So while they're huddled up and with their, their little holy huddle they got going on, they're weighing the options. Do we go with the truth and acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Messiah and he's who John said he is, which means that people are gonna stop following them. They're, they're going to leave them. They're gonna lose their authority. People are gonna start walking after Jesus. Do we do that or do we go with what's gonna keep us in power? Now, their motives are all kinds of jacked up. And so they break the huddle and they come out of the huddle with no answer. They have nothing to say to Jesus, which actually was their answer. They wanted their power more than they actually wanted a savior. They wanted control more than they wanted Christ. They wanted what they had already had and what they had built so long to work for more than they wanted Jesus himself. And so they answered him in verse 33, we don't know. <laughs> he said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And for Jesus, if we're playing chess, that's checkmate. He, win, he wins that argument. He doesn't have to win it, but he, but he does. They, they've got a choice to make. Am I gonna keep up this charade of control or am I gonna let go and am I gonna follow Jesus? What they did was they grasped tighter onto the control side and they let go of any remnants of what they might've had of Jesus. They grasped for control and they let go of Jesus. They're more concerned with maintaining their own power than recognizing that Jesus is the ultimate authority. Now, as we've been tracking through Mark, we know what's gonna happen. You know, we're gonna be tracking as he goes to the cross. And so in just a couple days here, according to the scriptures, Jesus is gonna to go to a cross and he's gonna give up his life. He's gonna die for sin, right? Those guys that he was just meeting with and having an argument with who are, who are planning to kill him, he's dying for that sin. He is dying for your sin. He is dying for my sin so that we might know him and be able to have a relationship with him. And so that means just as those um, religious leaders had a choice in this moment to grab onto control and to grab on to approval or to let go and to hold on to Jesus, I think we've got that same kind of decision and choice to make too. We've got the same dilemma every single day of our life. Are we gonna seek our own authority? Are we gonna look for our own power and our own uh, approval? Are we gonna seek that from others? Or are we gonna live under the rule and the reign of God? Are we gonna follow him? We're gonna seek the approval of others. We're gonna live under the rule and the reign and the approval of God. And that's a question that you have to answer. Nobody can answer that for you. The person sitting to your left can't answer that. You can't answer it for them. That is a question that is designed for you to, to make a choice. Guys, we may not be chasing lions down the street, but we do have things that we run after. We do have things that we go for for approval and to maintain and to hold on. There are some things that get in the way. There, there comes a time in our life where there's a choice that needs to be made. Am I gonna hang on to my, to my way of life or am I gonna hang on to the life of Jesus? When I was 18 years old, Jesus called me uh, to, to become a Christian. I was sitting on my bed in the, and I was sitting in my house in the middle of my bed. I mean, I had lived a torrentious life up to this point. And uh, I grew up going to church. Um, my dad took me to church. And then there was a moment in my life where I said, you know what? I don't, I don't wanna do that anymore. I knew about God, 
but I, but I walked away from that, and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And so throughout all my high school years, I just made an absolute wreck of my life. And then 18, um, I graduated, and I was sitting uh, in, in my room. I just moved away. I lived with four guys. We'd partying all the time, and it was stupid. And it was un, uncontrollable. And we, and we moved, and I moved out of that life, and I moved back to the home. And I remember just sitting in the middle of my bed, and Jesus just grabbed my heart. He said, enough is enough. It's time for you to make a choice. Are you going to follow me? Um, or are you going to keep doing what you've been doing? Um, and, and I want to I invite you into that space this morning. Um, there are things that we chase after. There are lions that we go after. There, there are things that we go for for status and approval. There are things that we want sometimes more than Jesus. And, and, and I'm just going to invite you into this place, man. Um, am I going to keep walking this life or am I going to um, come over to the side with Jesus? Am I going to live under his rule and reign or am I going to live under, under my own? And some of you are in a position of authority. And you say, well, dang. That's pretty rough because I've been doing, been doing this authority thing for a while. I've been in this position. And you're asking like, man, do, is that a bad thing? No, no, no. God puts you in a position that you are in to point people to Jesus. The position that you are in is not in vain. You are there, not as the ultimate authority, but people are gonna answer to you. People bring stuff to your desk. You're the point person, right? And, and, but you're in that position not to lord your authority over anybody, but to realize that you have an authority that you're under, the rule and reign of Christ, and to somehow live in compassion with them, to somehow lead them to Christ in your life. You are in the position that you're in because God has you there for a reason. Not to lord your authority, but to point to his rule and to his reign. And so I just wanna invite you into this place of, man, this ultimate surrender. God, my life is yours. It's yours. I've run, I've run, I've run, but today it's yours. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, um, thank you for, um, gosh, this challenge um, for our hearts. Um, Thank you for this little piece of scripture that we could easily just march over, um, but there's such richness in it for us. Um, Father, thank you for um, sending Jesus to a cross to die for us. Um, to the world's wisdom, it looks like folly, but in your grand economy, I mean, that's salvation for us. To walk with Jesus, to say, I want him. And so if there are men and women in the room who have not yet trusted Jesus, I pray that today is a day they say, I'm dropping living under this self-rule governance where I'm in charge of everything. And I just want to live in the rule and the reign of Christ. I want him in my life. I want to follow him. And through the ups and the downs, I want to walk through with him. And So uh, Lord, would you lead us into that place? We need your spirit to take us there. Um, for the things that we've been chasing, Father, we're, we're sorry. Um, the only approval that we need is from you and you gave it to us through your son, Jesus, when we accepted you. And so Father, would you allow us to live in that space? And I pray that we would just embrace your grace that comes through Jesus every single day. Um, Our life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.